sins. Then we have left the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So we're almost there. Knowing why we believe what we believe is really important. And I think sometimes as Christians we we um, talk about forgiveness and the forgiveness of sins. You know, it's such a central thing to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and really to, to the faith that we're so familiar with it that we, we don't often stop and consider what it means when we talk about the forgiveness of sin. If we could get up each day with an understanding fresh in our hearts and our spirits of the forgiveness of sins we would probably live our days very differently. And we would probably have very different relationships with even those really difficult people in our lives. So today we're going to look at a few different aspects of the forgiveness of sins. Again, this is one of those topics that's really big and you could spend a lot more than one sermon on it. But we're going to glance off some of the high points today. And it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit will bring something specifically to each one of us that we need to hear so forgiveness, it's in the news a lot these days, right? Probably we're thinking about student loan forgiveness. <laughs> that seems to have been a hot topic lately. Um, some people, when they think about forgiveness, they think about light sentences on hard crimes. You know, that kind of thing. Or maybe certain classes of people getting away with what others would be chastised for. Uh, that seems to happen in our society as well. Forgiveness is there for some if they have enough money to pay for it, maybe, but not for others, and there's an inequality that you can sort of see, the list goes on. Forgiveness is a really important thing in the world, and true forgiveness is foreign to us. We live in kind of a, an eye-for-an-eye eye culture. If you just you know read an article like on WCAX and then read the comment section after it, if it's involving someone that's committed a crime, there's an awful lot of comments on there that aren't terribly forgiving. <laughs> uh, it reveals the character of the human heart without God. So, it stands to reason that at the core and center of the Christian faith and our statement of faith would have teaching about something so amazing and so wonderful as forgiveness. Historically, uh, in the time that the creed was, was written, and in fact when this phrase was added to the creed, Christians were actually being mocked and persecuted for the idea that God has a choice to forgive sins and chooses to do so. This was such a foreign thing. Propitiation and atonement are central to our faith, and not surprisingly are at the core of some of the understandings of the faith that are under attack even from within the church. You know, there's an awful lot of people out there uh, that go to church on Sundays and do not believe that we need Jesus in order to have forgiveness for our sins. They believe in a universal salvation, that God is all love, that sin doesn't really matter because God is love and therefore we don't have to worry about any of that stuff and that Jesus' death was just because he was murdered by some jealous people who were hungry for power. We know from scripture that that is not the case and it's important that as we consider the creed as a guard against heresy, that we guard and defend and protect these very core beliefs uh, to the faith. So, the idea that God would pay the debt of our sin with his own blood was laughable 
to the pagans in the 4th and 5th century. Like, it was a total joke to them that we would believe that. Uh, they believed that sin or wrongdoing needed to be atoned for and paid for by the person who committed the act, and that was that. And there was no such thing as forgiveness. There was payment. Um, <clears throat> so there's a few different ways that we're going to look at forgiveness today. Uh, the first thing that when, as we consider forgiveness, you can't consider that without looking really long and hard at sin. We cannot understand the depth of God's grace to us in forgiveness of sin if we do not first take a hard look at sin, its consequences, and what we've been forgiven for and rescued from. These are not things that we like to consider too often, but we need to take a look at them. So, uh, <clears throat> Anselm, who was once an Archbishop of Canterbury, declared, You have not yet considered the heavy weight that sin is. Sin is serious. It's heavy. We can't <coughs> understand the depths of forgiveness until we look at the darkness of sin. Uh, most of us here today would probably consider that we are born again, that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And, and um, I don't have to tell you that we do not stop struggling with sin the day that we are born again. We continue to deal with it. I continue to deal with it. Probably you do too. Uh, <clears throat> the fact is that we still have this old nature that battles with the new nature. The old man and the new man. Satan is still functioning in this world. Temptation is there. Um, and although those of us who in the past have received Christ as Savior are forgiven of our past sins, we need to keep up to date with him. We need to repent. When we sin, we need to turn around and ask for forgiveness from that. Um, the Apostle Paul articulates this sort of war going on inside of us in Romans chapter 7. And I want to read this to us uh, because... It speaks very well to what some of us may be considering and battling. So Paul says this in seven, Romans 7.18, For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Does that sound familiar? Like at the end of the day, if we consider our, our day, we consider our deeds, our words, our thoughts... Did we start out thinking we were going to do things differently? Are there times where we say, yeah, I, I really shouldn't have done that. I really shouldn't have said that. And I definitely shouldn't have thought that. Right? So this goes on. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Like Paul lays it out perfectly clearly here. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. You know, we want to do the right thing. We read in the Word what is right, but we're still struggling against what we've been saved out of. So there's this regeneration 
of our spirit and then sanctification that is occurring as this stuff gets worked out of us. You know, all you go out and, and read the epistles that have been written. It deals with sin that was in the church. These are people who are born again that have trusted Jesus Christ, but they've brought with them into the church some of the ways of the world and some of the ways that they were functioning when they were darkened in their hearts and in their minds through sin and in the pagan culture. And working through that and having those things uncovered by the Holy Spirit and then pulled out of us is part of this whole process of which forgiveness is a large portion. And then Paul goes on in verse 24, like I need this on a t-shirt. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? <laughs> Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So this is Paul. This is one of the heroes of the faith, right? And he is so honestly saying, I am dealing with this on a day-to-day -day basis. And if Paul can be honest with us here, we can be honest with ourselves, with one another, and with Almighty God about the sin that we still deal with. Even though we polish ourselves up on Sunday morning, we still deal with this on a day-to-day -day basis. So sin, right? We think about the Ten Commandments, that kind of thing, but it's, it's really beyond that. It's anything that I do or any attitude that I have that disobeys God, hurts others, breaks God's heart, hurts myself, is sin. If there is anything that I leave undone, in action or in word or in attitude that I could reasonably do that would bring joy to God, myself and others. That is sin. When you define it that way, even though you may not have committed murder, <laughs> we realize that we are all involved in sin. Every single one of us has sinned. <coughs> Most of us don't really want to call it sin though. We want to call it dysfunction. Or we want to say, I was born that way. Or we want to say, that's not as bad as this. We have all kinds of ways to rationalize sin and to make it seem in our minds like less than what it actually is. Some of us like to kind of hide our heads in the sand when it comes to our own sin and point our fingers at other people because that's a lot easier to do. Mark Twain, who is not a Christian theologian, <laughs> but had tapped into something here, said, man is the only animal that blushes or needs to. <laughs> now we know that created in the image of God, we're not at the same level as animals in that respect, but the point remains that we know, we are convicted. So what does the Bible say about it? That's what we really want to know. For there is no distinction. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It goes on to say, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Further on in Romans it says, 
if we say, excuse me, in John, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. So sin is a thing. We have to look at it. We have to acknowledge it and be honest with ourselves and honest with the Lord. So the next thing regarding forgiveness, we need to repent of sin in order to experience forgiveness. It doesn't just happen. We have to repent. Repent is more than saying, I'm sorry. Because you can sin and keep going back to that sin and going back to that sin multiple times and feel sorry for it afterwards. But repentance is an action. It's a decision. It's turning around 180 degrees and walking in the other direction away from it. It's not looking back at it. There's a scripture that says, and someone probably knows where it is, or you can Google it, that um, when we put our hand to the plow, but then look back, we're not worthy. You know, when we receive Christ, when we become born again, when we decide we're headed this way, but we're yearning and looking back at Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened? <laughs> you know the story there, right? <clears throat> question is, are we actually repenting of our sin? Do we have real sorrow and contrition for our disobedience? Do we feel any anguish over the fact that we have hurt God, ourselves, or others? Let's think back to David for a minute, the man after God's own heart, right? Here's another guy that gives me hope, <laughs> besides, um, besides Paul needing to be saved from the uh, body of death. David committed he was well, he coveted, right? He lusted, he lied, he committed adultery, committed murder. One sin led to the next. And if you spent any time in your life sinning, you know that that's the case. <laughs> Usually it's a thought that we then entertain, which then becomes something that we dwell in and sit with and begin to enjoy. And then we rationalize it and then eventually we act on it. And then after we act on it, we justify it so we can do it again. Sound familiar? Maybe? I don't know. Did David actually feel sorry? Did he repent? Yes. The Psalms are full of David's repentance, of his sorrow, of his experience, of the heaviness, of the conviction of the Lord upon him, and what it was like when he repented, when he turned away. And God was able to come in, in power, in his life because of that. Many of us kind of repent to avoid consequences, not because we've actually had conviction leading to repentance. Scripture tells us that we are called to bear fruit worthy of repentance. In part, this means that the fruit in our lives should show that we have experienced real life change, not just giving lip service to it. If we've repented of our sin and received this grace of the Lord and then continue in sourness and judgment towards others around us, sort of exacting and demanding from them without grace, then we need to take a really hard look at ourselves. For some people, when they receive forgiveness at the point at which 
they become born again, they think that's the end. Like, I've got my ticket. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> it's just the beginning. It's the ending of the old life and the beginning of the new. Uh, <clears throat> we are empowered by the Holy Spirit not to be in bondage to sin. We don't have to keep living in it. We don't have to keep wallowing in it. And some of us need to have a deeper understanding of what it means to be born again. We forget that this rebirth is the beginning of a brand new life, not just the end of an old one. We begin to live into something new and wonderful and exciting. We actually have power through Jesus Christ over the sin that used to have an unbreakable power over us. We don't have to live in it anymore. Uh, so, if you are someone who is not a believer yet, now is the time to listen to what the Lord is saying to you and come to your senses. Repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And if you are a believer, but in some area of your life you've been kind of playing fast and loose with God's commands, it's really important that we face up to reality and come to our senses and repent of sin. Psalm 51 really hits the nail on the head for me anyways. And it says, The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. That's not pride and ego coming before God. That is, woe is me. I am a sinful person in the presence of a holy God. So when we receive forgiveness... And this is an important next step. And we realize that we have been forgiven of that depth of sin. David being forgiven of coveting, lying, adultery, murder. And we say to ourselves, well, I never did any of that. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We are in the same boat as Adam and Eve, as Cain and Abel, as David, as anybody when we receive that forgiveness of God that frees us from this eternal damnation and separation from God and everlasting punishment, that debt that has been paid is so overwhelming that we ought to be filled with tremendous charity towards one another. Right? The debt that's been paid on our behalf is so huge. And yet we still hold these little debts against people. These little debts against our family members. These little debts against our brothers and sisters in Christ. We hold on to those. But by the Holy Spirit, we need to be changed so that we can see that we've been forgiven so much. We have got to release people. And in fact, Scripture deals very directly with that. And there's some really serious stuff in there. So, you don't need to answer this out loud. Just answer it in your own head and in your heart. Uh, have have you ever had someone come to you and ask you for forgiveness for something that they did to you but then you know months or years later you find yourself dwelling on what they had done to you or maybe you even in a safe place maybe in a safe place with friends or something you trot out that story and you relive that hurt and you get angry all over again. Or 
um, you know, you, you bring it back out for whatever reason and, and talk about it again. That's where we've got to say to ourselves, stop, time out. If we are going to be forgiven, we had better be willing to forgive other people. Jesus says, unless we forgive others their sin, our Father in heaven will not forgive us our sins. In the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. There's a number of places in Scripture where it's really a dangerous thing to not forgive others. So the forgiveness we extend to others doesn't come from the well of our own resource. You might say, well, Pastor, you don't know what that person did to me. It was awful. It wasn't just a small thing. It left me with hurt, with trauma, with pain, with scars. And we might carry those until the day that we stand before the King of Glory in His presence. And we are finally and fully and completely healed of those things. But that forgiveness that we extend to others does not have to come from inside of us. In fact, it can't come from our own resources and our own stores. It comes from God's well of grace that has been extended to us. And it is His strength made perfect in our weakness that allows us to forgive those people that we think are unforgivable for us. The other dangerous thing in, in not forgiving other people is that when we hold other people in bondage to something, we're actually holding ourselves in that bondage, not the offender. Um, in forgiving others and releasing them in their offense to God, um, <clears throat> we are releasing ourselves from the need to be angry. I mean, really, holding on to anger is vengeance. And Scripture tells us that vengeance is mine saith the Lord, I will repay. We release ourselves from the need to be angry. We release ourselves from the need to want to wallow in our hurt. And when we sit in that, a seed of bitterness takes root in our lives, in our hearts, that is very hard to get rid of. And it is really only by the power of the Holy Spirit and the healing of the Lord that that can be plucked out. <clears throat> That bitterness grows and it doesn't poison that other person. It poisons us, our relationship with others, our relationship even with God. So forgiveness is a really serious matter that is clear in Scripture. You know, it's even clear in Scripture that if we hold unforgiveness towards one another, we shouldn't even receive communion because we're eating and drinking unworthily, which Scripture warns about. So when we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sin, it's not just a happy, clappy, I'm forgiven. It's this depth of understanding our sin, of understanding more about what God's forgiveness in our lives means for us and what we must then extend to others as we walk in this world. So for those of us that are believers, that are born again, is there some area in your life that has unconfessed sin? Maybe we're hiding skeletons in our closet. Maybe we've lived in shame and guilt that you can almost feel and taste is so palpable. Or at the other extreme, maybe we've rationalized our sin in a way that we've anesthetized ourselves to the point that we continue in the same actions and attitudes without feeling any conviction by the Lord. So I invite you 
when we pray in a moment, to open your life honestly to the Lord and let him deal with you on that. He is just and he is also loving and forgiving. If you do not know the Lord and the Holy Spirit is pulling at you right now and you are increasingly aware of your sin, I invite you at this time to do business with God. And as one who has never received him as Savior, I, I just strongly urge you to welcome him into your life. Confess your sin. Realize you can't do it on your own. Receive this gift of salvation. This freedom from that which will eternally separate you from God. But for those that are, are believers and, and non-believers, I invite you to recognize our need for forgiveness, myself included. Repent of our sin. Receive forgiveness and be willing to reciprocate to others the same that we have received. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed, things we have done and left undone. Lord, forgive us for holding and harboring unforgiveness in our hearts towards others. Lord, right now we, resting in your forgiveness of us, we forgive them. We release them to your care. We lay our own ego, our own pride, and our own need to be angry at the foot of your cross. Please heal us. Lord, we forgive ourselves. Help us to remember that when you remove our sin, it is as far as the east is from the west. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Help us to live that and understand it and let it sink deeply into us that we don't go around in false guilt brought on by the enemy, but that we would live in victory and in freedom and in doing so be a living, walking testimony to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ bearing fruit worthy of repentance. Lord, help us in the moment-by-moment -moment struggles against sin and temptation. Help us to take every thought captive that thoughts wouldn't get as far as an action. And where it has, Lord, help us to take the steps necessary to confess to you, to one another, and get right with you and one another. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stay.